hear me back there? <laughs> I always say that. Hey, um, I want to thank the committee. Uh, asked me to come share my strength, hope, and experience. And I especially want to thank Leslie <laughs> for her going to any lengths to find my new phone number because we had moved uh, within this last year and um, somehow she got an old tape of mine and uh, here I am. <laughs> some speakers didn't make it, some did. I guess it's a God thing anyway. Uh, <laughs> I want to uh, welcome any newcomers, Alcoholics Anonymous, this awesome fellowship. Uh, don't leave. This is the last stop. Don't leave. You know, I'm not going to say keep coming back. Just don't leave. And uh, and I want to express some gratitude for the early timers. Notice I said early timers and not old timers. <laughs> I know how to handle this bunch. And uh, <laughs> I am. I'm grateful to those people who uh, started the meetings and uh, kept the meetings going and had a room ready for me to recover in when... Uh, when I was when I was ready to come, you know, and uh, I'm grateful to that. And uh, I uh, I gotta tell you this story because it loosens me up. <laughs> I'm still stiff from riding. And uh, there was this drunk, you know, and he died sober, but he never made the rooms Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, he died sober and he went up to heaven. <laughs> And this guy was waiting for him, and he had this, all these names. And so he says to the drunk, what's your name? And he told him his name, and he goes, wow, yeah. He says, you're on the list. I don't know how you got here. Maybe you're supposed to be here. So uh, the drunk says, well, what's up here? You know, what do you have around here? He says, well, we have three denominations. I'll take you around, see if you fit in, see if you belong. So he took him to these big set of doors up in the clouds, and he opened it up. And the guy in the drunk looked in, and there was these people sitting on these hard pews reading the Bible. <laughs> he said, who are they? <laughs> and the guy says, well, they're the Protestants, you know. And he says, well, I don't know if I want to be with them. They're not having no fun. What else you have? So they walked through the clouds some more, two big doors again. They opened it up. There's people kneeling down praying. And the guy said, who are they? And the guy said, well, they're the devout Catholics. They're praying to get here. They're already here. <laughs> the guy says, no, it doesn't look like they're having any fun either. So he will go through the clouds, three more big doors. This is the last day. He opens it up. All cigarette smoke comes flying out. <laughs> Fresh brewed coffee he smelled. He peeked in. Everybody was laughing, you know, shaking hands, having a good time. He said, this is more like it. Who are they? Guy says, we don't know. They started coming here 63 years ago. <laughs> says, every time we ask them how long they're staying, they keep saying, one day at a time. <laughs> that loosens me up. I uh, I got sober on the east coast of New Jersey. It's a long way from here. Uh, you're going to get an east-west coast blend of recovery. Boy, aren't you lucky. Don't leave. I, uh, I, um, I moved out to California six years ago. I was already 11 years sober. And uh, all my doors were closing out there. My second wife was leaving me for the second time in recovery. She couldn't take a joke. I, uh, <laughs> Jeannie gave a husband log. Maybe I'll give you a wife a log. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I lost my business. I uh, mismanaged my funds. I had a heating and cooling business. And the uh, 10 years of sobriety, uh, the IRS confiscated my trucks, went into my bank account and took my money. And uh, I remember calling them saying, this too shall pass, but they weren't laughing. And uh, 
and I don't know what to do. You know, uh, one more time I had to, uh, relocate and, uh, I had no money. I was going broke. I, uh, pawned some jewelry, you know, like the old days to get by, but I kept going to meetings. I kept working with other alcoholics. I kept raising my hand. I kept sharing where I was at. And, uh, and I knew, I knew, even though I lost things in recovery that I didn't use when I was out there drinking, I knew, though, at 10 years of sobriety, I had something money couldn't buy, you know. I had Alcoholics Anonymous. I had a home group. I had a sponsor. I had my big book, my binky and my blanket, you know. And I had me, you know. And uh I came out to California. I said, that's it. I'm going to, you know, I took one of these moves they call geographical cure and recovery. You know, they, we dress up everything we do, you know. I do anyway. <laughs> geographical cure, you know. And uh some alcoholics on the East Coast hooked me up with a guy in Redondo Beach. His name was Andy the Alcoholic, naturally, you know. <clears throat> I didn't want to do I wanted to go to the beach, sit on my pity pot, and say, poor me, poor me. <laughs> These guys drug me around. I was there for 10 days. They took me to two meetings a day for the 10 days I was out there. I was like, oh, man, I got all this recovery. And, of course, it was out there I met my wife-to-be. And I really wasn't looking. I was coming out of one marriage and... uh you know, a a boy met a girl on a campus. There she was, this redhead. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't looking, and I met her at the fruit table at one of the meetings. You know, hi, how are you? You know, well, have a grape. You know, and uh, we hit it off pretty good. Went back east, and for a whole year, I I was gonna, you know, straighten out things. And we had this east west coast telephone relationship, very expensive. <laughs> one of the things that made up my mind to move. Anyway, I went back and I closed up. And, you know, <clears throat> I had to, uh, I said goodbye to my two ex-wives, <laughs> my six kids, a couple of sponsors that I had, and uh, and the people I recovered with. And I had to start all over again, you know, in Southern California. And it was, it was hard. You know, I had to get a home group, a sponsor, you know, start all over, like back to basics. But anyhow, let me, and, uh, let me bring you back to New Jersey where it all started. And, uh. I'm one of six kids, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. I know I don't look like it. <laughs> Alcohol preserved my ass. I don't know about anybody else. And, uh, you know, we had two TVs, one for picture, one for sound, you know. <clears throat> and, uh, and my father had this thing about keeping the Christmas lights up, so, you know, you know, I, I'm not going to say I came from an alcoholic family, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And when the garbage men came to pick up our trash, you know, half the trash was beer bottles and cans, you know, and, and then one, one garbage receptacle was for the house trash, you know, <laughs> so you know where that we came from. I, uh, there was six kids next door were my grandparents. They had 16 kids. They were sex addicts, you know, <laughs> and, uh, so our driveway connected to two houses and our backyard looked like a park, you know, and, uh, this is where I grew up with all this confusion and, uh. And before you knew it, I was out of high school. <laughs> yeah, 19 years old. I grad, you know, I I got left back in second grade because I think I liked it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyhow, here I am, 19 years old, and uh, I'm having my first bout, bad bout with alcohol. And we were doing vodka and beer, and my head was spinning, jumping around the floor. I hit the floor, and I learned my first alcoholic prayer. Jeez, get me out of this. I'll never drink again. 19 years later, I became a town drunk. 
sleeping on a park bench when my second family was in their house. I was outside in the park sleeping, thinking that was normal. You know, doesn't everybody do that? You know, I remember my dad had an eight to five job and three in the morning he'd pull up on the grass of our house and fall asleep and I'd go out 7 a.m. in the morning, wake him up, say, Dad, you got to go to work. You know, and, and you know what? <laughs> that happened. You know, I thought it was normal because it happened to me. It wasn't until I got sober that I took a look at that. And um, I'm out of high school. I meet this blonde. See, I married a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. <laughs> I, said, I want it all. <laughs> I, don't want it. I insist on having fun, enjoying life. And uh, I meet this blonde. We get married. I'm working for a big oil company on the East Coast called Exxon. <laughs> I say that because they're not big out here. <laughs> and uh, we settled down. We got married. And we had four kids. I'm still drinking. She's unhappy. We got this little cottage right on the Atlantic Ocean. Beautiful. And uh, so seven years goes by. She comes up to me and says, you know what? I don't love you no more. I'm tired of you running out drinking. And uh, I think we ought to split up. And uh, <clears throat> a part of me was hurt. But the alcoholic part of me was, <laughs> with her out of the way, I can drink the way I want to drink. And so we decided sell a house, split it down the middle. She got the inside, I got the outside. I thought that was a pretty good deal. Good alcoholic move, you know. She was a housekeeper and she was going to keep the house. I know it. We, uh, we finally sold that house and, uh, and my, uh, my green lights went on. And, uh, I got a, a little room in a boarding house and so all I had to do was take the company vehicle, go to work, have my paycheck mailed to the post office. And uh, and it was a good life because she took the kids when we split the house up. I thought that was a good idea. I became one of these weekend fathers. And I uh, continued on with my drinking career. <laughs> you like that? See, I dressed this up, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I remember coming back from work one night. And I was like 1969 and disco was just getting hot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> young at heart. Here we are. And I... And I, I I peeked my head into the window, this disco and the music, boom, 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 and I'm going, yeah, this is me. I missed out on all this stuff. You know, I was like 29 years old, and I, I figured the seven years I was married, I missed out on some more fun. So I uh, I got my paycheck, and I went shopping, man. I got me some yellow shoes, yellow pants, and a yellow flowered shirt. I'm going boogieing. This is what I'm going to do. And I picked those clothes up, and I stopped at the liquor store, and I bought a pint of whiskey, put it in my back pocket. Went to one of the parking lots of one of these nightclubs, hang out, met some people, you know, we passed the ball around, I got along just fine, you know, and then when the doors opened to the nightclubs, we were ready to go, you know, strobe light going, order a couple cocktails, you know, I was the, I was the kind of guy that make up for lost time, I'd walk in and I'd order a beer, a shot, a highball, and another beer, and the bartender was looking behind me like, who are these drinks for? They're for me, man, it's like, you know, you, you, you starting late, you know, it's like, I gotta catch up. You know, that was my thinking, you know. I couldn't get on that dance floor unless I had some courage. There I was. I turned into this John Travolta overnight. You know, <laughs> strobe light going on, boogieing. <clears throat> Three years I did this. Pick my paycheck up at the post office, go to the cleaners, pick up my bopping clothes and, and go out boogieing. And, and I started getting in trouble with the law, with blackouts. I mean, I thought blackouts because I wasn't eating right, drinking right, sleeping right, you know. And they didn't go away and... I would have this car sometimes half on a bridge, half off a bridge, and that usually catches people's attention. And uh, <laughs> the cops used to come and, uh, you know, what are you doing half off the bridge? And 
And then when they saw the yellow shoes, yellow pants, and yellow flowers, they were like, who is this guy, you know? <laughs> and uh, I decided to settle down, because out there on that dancing and that all that nightclubbing that I fell myself into, uh, I met my second wife-to-be. She was 18, I was 30. It was like bliss, you know. <laughs> I, she was a mature 18. You know? <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you, no drama. And... Uh, Another year went by, she figured she can good Al-Anon as she was becoming, <laughs> you know, she figured, you know, if I married him, he would settle down. Oh, boy. So finally we did. You know, I was getting in trouble with the law. I, uh, I OD'd on alcohol and another substance. Um, that's the way it was. I'm not going to give you a drug log. I used my other substances alcoholically, like Mickey B says, you know. So out of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous, if I have a drug log, I do that somewhere else. I'm talking about my alcoholism out of respect for the early timers. Uh, they're still just juicers in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, so, you know, here I am coming out of this hospital. I guess they didn't know about the other substance because they can just smell the alcohol. I almost died a couple of times. So this woman figured, you know what, we better settle down. We moved 50 miles away from all these places. <laughs> and then I joined the bar, you know. Now i become a shot and beer drinker. You know, I marry this woman. We have two kids, and I'm hanging out in the bar every day, noontime, after work. She's calling the bars. My husband there give the bartender 10 bucks, and he lies, you know. No, I ain't seen him all day, you know. <laughs> She'd come in the bar and catch me, you know, and say, well, I'm going to move your bed down here, you know. I was the kind of guy, I'd go out for a loaf of bread, come back four days later, you know, thinking isn't that normal, doesn't everybody, where were you, playing cards, you know. I'd be in a blackout over in Hoboken, which is like across the Hudson from New York, and I could see the Statue of Liberty. I wasn't sure if I was in New York or New Jersey, you know. I guess it depends if you knew which way the statue was facing. I would call her up in the middle of the night saying, I'm lost. Where are you? I see the Statue of Liberty. Codependent, she used to get a map out and say, okay, what street corner are you at? You know, I mean, that's what she used to do. <clears throat> Send people after me to get me, and I had no idea where the hell I was. It was this woman who called me on my alcoholism. Um, she said, it's not normal to drink every day. You drink every day. I said, well, all the old timers down the bar, you know, my committee at the A section of the, my favorite bar, you know, I joined the football pool, you know, and they would solve all my everyday problems, these, these guys, you know, and, uh, all the wisdom I figured was, you know, the Fleischmann drinkers and the shot and beer all tried to keep up with them old timers. I almost died. And, uh, she called me on my alcoholism. She said, you know what? You do something about your drinking or I'm out of here. And I was like, whoa, I didn't want to lose my second marriage, you know. And I remember in this building where we lived, it was like apartments, and there were, <laughs> I got to tell you, there was like 10 or 12 cops living in there. And and we used to party together. You know, some people used to run from the law. <laughs> I was running with them, you know. We were like vigilantes. When they had two days off in a row, they would party like crazy. But they really didn't know how to drink, you know. They had to stop a day ahead of time to sober up because, you know, they didn't know how to do it. And their wives would get pissed off at me, thinking I was getting them in trouble. Anyway, there was one guy in the building, <clears throat> Arizona Bones, was my Eskimo. And he was in AA, and he had one of these Volkswagen vans that had all the bumper stickers in the program on it, you know. I mean, even on the windows. He didn't have to wash this thing. I mean, it had easy does it, live and let live, one day at a time, you know, uh, but for the grace of God. And then I remember I used to get loaded and pull behind his truck. He had the sink upside down by the license plate. I used to say, why did jerk put the sink upside down? <laughs> CAA was calling me way back, way back then. 
Anyway, I, I knew this guy had something to do with recovery, and I said, you know, he had <laughs> this truck. I still, it's in my, he used to go down a road to look like a campaign vehicle for AA, you know, <laughs> like join AA, you know, this guy was too much, and he used to be the town drunk, and then I took over, and then he took me to a meeting, and I said, listen, I got to go to a meeting, or my wife's going to leave me, he said, yeah, what do you want to do, I said, well, I'd like to go like four towns away, so no way in town, no, he said, no, he said, everybody thinks that, everybody thinks if you go four towns away, no way in town will see you. He said, you go to a meeting in the town you drank in, and no one will know. They'll all be four towns away. <laughs> he lied. I walked into this meeting. It was 250 people. And there they all were. Go, oh, Gil, we thought you were dead. So good. Oh, man, you know. Fast Eddie, Harry the Hat, all these guys, you know, I used to drink with. You know, there, they, there they all were. Unbelievable. Old timer came up to me. He said, Goo, we need a coffee maker. Bars relapsed. I was like, relapsed? That's a big word for me. What's relapse? You catch that from making coffee? No, he says. You'll love it. 250 people, I made eight pounds of coffee. Because I said, yes, I'll make coffee. Here I am, you know, here's this meeting. has got a roll-up window, you know, old-fashioned kind of A meeting. Got a window with a kitchen and then chairs and tables. And, and I'm, I roll the window up when the coffee's ready, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I got caught. I was smoking marijuana to keep the edge off. So I can make coffee for these people. The guy catches me. You can't do that here. I said, well, I don't drink. He said, no, no good. Nothing. No mind altering. Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't have no rehab. I was jonesing. Uh, these people nursed me. <laughs> oh, Harry, I'd be running out of coffee. Harry, we're running out of coffee. He'd say, throw some hot water over them, grinds them drunks. They'll never know the difference. <laughs> he was right. He was right. They would come up to me after me. Oh, a delicious coffee. I was like, oh, man, these people only knew what I was doing back there. Six months, I made coffee. Didn't read no big book yet. No steps. I'm sober. Six months, I'm making coffee. And then they gave me another commitment. Mug washer. We didn't have styrofoam cups. See, I came into AA, thank God, when it was old-fashioned. I don't see it that much anymore. This convention does remind me. I don't want to get no trouble. No, it does. This, this convention, I don't see a lot of commercial stuff going on here. And this convention reminds me of old-fashioned AA. And uh, people brought mugs from their house. You know, almost like being in an Alano club. These people have never been to Alano club. You know, they'd bring these mugs in that they didn't want around their house. Maybe they came from weddings. They were sentimental to the people. And I had to wash 250 mugs, put my hands in hot water, another six months, and I got to know these mugs. You know, and these people were gentle and kind. They didn't impose no recovery on me. They were gentle and kind. They hand-fed me the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. But they were stern when they had to be. Awesome. Hard to find sometimes these days. And uh, six months goes by, here I am a mug washer. And I'm washing these mugs with this guy, Charlie. He had a suit and tie on. I was like, who's this guy? You know, executive somewhere? You know, <laughs> it's like... You know, I didn't wear this to impress you. I wore it. This impresses me, you know, just in case Clancy's watching up for the time. But anyway, this guy and me, we become the mug washers. We're washing these 200. Actually, there were 300 mugs. And my question was, why the other 50 mugs? Just in case we get a run on alcoholics. And they used to make us wash the other 50 mugs that weren't. How come we got to wash them up? Just keep washing. You know, the old guy said, you know what? Mug washers don't relapse. He was right. <laughs> I meet this guy, Charlie. He's got this tie on. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> you know, he's my assistant. He said, well, my name's Charlie. I, uh, I relapsed. 
I said, ha ha, here's that word again, relapse. And so what happened? He was sober seven years. He bought his son a bike for Christmas. And some drunk ran the kid over. And he went to the bar and he had one drink. That day, I met him. And he came and he said, I came back to the meeting. So I was like, whoa. I was like, I wasn't really taking it all seriously back then. But when I met him, I took sobriety real seriously from that day on. I was like, I was like, wow, this guy came back after a drink. I said, and, I, and I kept saying, you only had one drink? He said, yeah. I love the program too much. And see, I didn't know what he meant right away. And he became, we hooked up, you know. I hooked up with a relapser, you know, and we piled around. And a year went by. Not working those steps. I'm not really no, I'm sober a year. <laughs> Pretty cool. Sober a year. And, uh, I remember my wife coming down the room. About a year and a half went by. Here she comes down the steps. She was in Al-Anon. You know, she came out the back door. They told her, you, go to AA. She left. She coming down and said, what are you doing here? I said to her. She said, I'm an alcoholic too. I said, well, that's okay, but this is my meeting. You know, I, I was taken over already, you know. I said, there's other meetings. Go find them. No, I like this one. Oh, my God. She wouldn't leave. The women in that group said, join this group. Get a sponsor. Clean house. She did. I was the first one to go. Another one. Seven years married. She's got this seven-year rich. I don't want to be married to you no more. Unbelievable. We fell into that AA syndrome of recovery. When we were sobering up, we didn't know who the hell we were. So we knew who we were as drunks, but as, as sober people, we weren't sure about each other. And we hit that syndrome that some people hit in recovery. And she said she didn't want to be married to me no more, and I was hurt. I was, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I couldn't believe she was saying that. You know, and I, and I can remember one night, I was gonna be her confidant, and I said, you know what? You can't make no major decisions for a year. See, I heard that at a meeting, I forgot. You know, but, you know, she wasn't doing it. You know, it didn't work. I said to my sponsor, what do I do? He said, stay in a marriage another year, see what happens. Oh man, worst year of my life. Worst year of my life. I'm sleeping on the couch. There's nothing going on in the bedroom. We're getting babysitters. She's off to meetings. I'm off to meetings. You know, I don't know which meeting to go to. I'm peeking in the windows. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to, you know, I'm at a meeting where she is. I'm afraid to raise my hand. I'm afraid to share. I don't know what the hell to do. I'm following her around. I'm tapping her phone. I'm doing this open heart surgery on myself, trying to get her back the wrong way, you know, looking like an asshole. You know, all my insecurities, my character defects, my human failings were killing me. I was so hurt. I couldn't believe it. Following her, actually they call it stalking today. Be careful. You go, you know, you go to jail for that today. And I don't know what to do. I, I don't remember alcohol kicking my butt like my feelings and my emotions. Had two and a half years of sobriety. I don't want to live. I don't want to drink. What a hell of a place to be. You know where it says in a big book where I couldn't imagine life without alcohol? Couldn't imagine life without it? I couldn't imagine sobriety without my family. I really couldn't. My sponsor came over one day and he says, what do you want to do? She said, I don't want to be married to him no more. I think he should leave. You know, he can see the kids. I went. And I, you know what? I said, the hell with her. I'm out of here. I took my big book, my pinky, my blanket. I left. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> hell with you. I'm going. Two towns away. I get a little room. I'm living out of boxes. And that's all I had was my big book, thinking blanket, and my truck. I left. One more time, I became a weekend father, only this time sober. I'm hurting, and I'm still hurting. The pain. You know, I, I really didn't want to live. I, I didn't want to drink, but I didn't want to live. 
My attitude was, I'll show everybody. They were all thinking I was going to drink. I said, I'll show you so I won't drink even if it kills me. It almost did. <laughs> it almost did. I wound up in a hospital with an ulcer attack. Pain went down my left side. I lost like 40 pounds. I'm in this hospital. I got my Father Martin books, my big book, my 12 and 12. Oh, it's, you know, all recovery stuff, you know. Hospital. The doctors are in a corner going, blah, 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 and I go, oh, shit, I'm going to die. <laughs> you know? And then the doctor said, listen, you had an ulcer and this and that. It's not bleeding. Take care of yourself. You might be all right. Stop worrying. I went home. Alcoholics came over my house. Turning point in my recovery. I was almost three years sober. And these guys came over and said, Gil, we're going to go on a retreat up to the mountains where they talk about the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, oh, yeah, great. How much is it? Ten bucks. Actually, I think it was more. They wanted me to be committed. There I was, my ass in a paper bag. Most unhappiest person in the rooms. They take me on this retreat up to the mountains. Ninety, almost a hundred men. I meet this retreat master. He was a priest, an alcoholic priest of recovery. His name was Kenny, <laughs> a little guy. He, he'd need a milk crate if he was speaking here tonight. He might have been tiny, but he was spiritually powered. And on Friday night, he had to give his story. You know, <laughs> he had to talk where, where he came from, you know, make everybody. So he was talking about where he was at this church and he would give his finger to the nuns, you know, and he would go and get loaded in a bar. The bartender would drop him off on the steps of the church. The nuns would come out of the convent, pick him up, bring him to the rectory. They ain't even supposed to be there. They didn't want him to get him in trouble. They were codependent nuns, you know. And <laughs> so they put him in the rectory. And then when his brother came home on weekends, he was a state trooper. They'd go to his dad's house. All three of them would get loaded. Kenny would put his brother's uniform on go out at night and pull people over with the motorcycle. The cops would lock his ass up. He was impersonating a police officer. They didn't know what to do with this guy. He kept telling him he was a priest. The Monsignor would have to go down a couple times to bail him out. They were telling him he's a priest. The Monsignor said, yeah, he's a priest. Here's a guy giving a retreat about seven years sober. I liked him. Right away, I liked him. You know, he, he was my kind of priest. You know, he spit, he cursed, he told dirty jokes and gave mass on Sunday. All my life I've been looking for a priest like that. And there he was. He was nuts. He, he was even, even got thrown out of priesthood for a while or he left and he became a cab driver in New York and he, and, and he would take the hookers to meetings that had alcohol. <laughs> He'd help everybody else, you know. My kind of guy. He, uh, it was a rough retreat because my wife's living boyfriend was on this retreat. And oh man, talk about humility. Boy, my God has, has sense of humor. I know how to hold hands, say Lord's Prayer with this guy, you know, and he's looking at me saying, it's going to get better. And I was like, already is better, you know. I had this thing about somebody hanging their robe where I once put mine, you know, putting their slippers where I used to put mine, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, my wife never did marry him. <laughs> she, married, she, she married another guy in AA, good Irishman, good guy. AA works. You know, my, my ex-wife and, and, and I and her husband, we have a good relationship. When my wife and I go out to AAS to speak at their meeting, you know, flips people out. And it's only because of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the process of forgiveness that I have an open-door policy in all my ex-wives' house. I go there and the husband stay out of the way. Oh, here comes your sugar. Hey, what's to eat? Feed me. Let's go. I don't drink. I'll eat, though. Let's go. You know. And uh, we're walking through the garden, me and this priest. It's Saturday. And he's like, he took one look at me, and I had that look like, you know what, if I don't change my way of working this program, I'm not going to be around. I, I mean, it showed. I see it in others, I don't know, you know, every once in a while. That distraught face, that person hanging on to the edge of that chair. 
and uh, your ass in a paper bag. And, you know, he picked, and he said, oh, Gil, what's up with you? You know, so I gave him my story. And I said to him, you know what, Kenny? I'm lost. I said, where the hell is the spiritual side of this program? <laughs> he said, Gil, there's no spiritual side of this program. I said, no. He said, not all programs spiritual. What's your problem? Maybe I can help you out. What step you on? I said, I don't know. Pick one out. That's where, that's where I was at. Pick one out. I had to internalize them first three steps or I wouldn't have been sober three years. And uh, you know what he did? He broke the first three steps down for it. It's a cliche today. But 14 years ago, you know, it was the best thing I ever heard. He said, Gil, let me help you out. He said, the first step is you can't. Second step is he can. Third step is why don't you let him. I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I was like blown away by this. I'm all pumped up. I'm coming home from this retreat. I'm going down a freeway. I'm singing it like a song. I can't, he can't, I'm going to let him. You know. And I get back to my home group. I got back to my home raising my hand. I can't, he can't, I'm going to let him. What the hell? Everybody's like, wow. You know, I figure I spread all this wisdom around. <laughs> One of the old timers taps me on the shoulder. Come here, I want to talk to you. Uh oh. You don't mess with old timers. Back then you didn't. Early timers. That, be careful. And, uh, I said, what's up? See, I didn't mess with them because I figured they were holding the secret to happy and content sobriety. And if you were nice to them and hung around with them, they were going to pass this on to you. You know, they were going to give you the shortcut to this whole thing. But it never happened. <laughs> anyway, this guy pulls me to the side. Where the hell did you get that crap? I said, what? Up on retreat. He said, Gil, that's the three pertinent ideas. I said, it is? He said, yeah. You're an alcoholic in recovery. You can't manage your own life. No human power is going to, but God couldn't move if he was sought. I was like, whoa. One more time, I'm floored. I'm going around three years. I hear this at every meeting. Didn't sink in. You, know, you had to keep things on a Cheerios cornflakes level because I'm still slow. You know. Like I say, hand fed. You know. Oh, my Lord. I said, I go home. I call up my sponsor. I said, Joe. Kenny broke them steps. Yeah, he said, I know. You can't. He can't watch you. I said, how old you know? He said, that's old hat. I said, well, I don't know. I said, anyway, what am I going to let him do if I let him? He said to me, oh, I thought you'd never ask. There I was, three and a half years sober. No four-step. That was my time frame. See, I don't know what your time frame is or was, but that was my time frame. Whatever your time frame is, get that sponsor. Do that step. I call him up. I said, what do I do? This sponsor, Joe. Awesome man. Awesome man. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a fantastic person. He didn't tell me what to do. Just the first step. That's what he did. But he didn't tell me what to do. He showed me what to do. I watched this man. I watched this man work with other alcoholics. I watched him bring some families together. Not all of them, but some of them. And somehow, I don't know if I wanted to be that, but I wanted to be about that. that and he was the kind of man, he said to me right from the beginning, I don't want you to walk in front of me, Gil, or behind me. Just alongside of me. And I'd have put him on no pedestal, and he didn't hold me hostage in recovery. And that's the kind of relationship we had. Very rare, hard person to find these days. It really is. <clears throat> and I said, okay, well, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> he says, I know you. Because he grew up in an orphanage, Joe. And, uh, thanks, Charlie. He grew up in, hey, Charlie will buy me a drink. <laughs> and he grew up in an orphanage, and, uh, and he said to me, you grew up with a punishing God, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did. I hung around with Catholic boys all my life, and I believed what they believed in. And I believe what I paid attention to is what makes me up. So I believe what they believed in. Every time we got our bike stolen or our glove, baseball glove stolen, or we fell down, we hurt ourselves, broke our arms, did something. we figured it's that God getting even for all the things we did when we were out there acting like vigilantes. And, and I believed that. I believed that before I drank. When I drank and when I got sober, that that God was after me, you know, and he was going to get me for all those things. He said, nah, he says, 
He helped me out. He said, this is what I want you to do. Take down that God you grew up with. Wherever he might be. I don't know where you have him. He said, a pedestal. Wherever. Wherever you got this God. Take him down. Put a God you want to put up there and see if you can get to know him. I was like, whoa, that's awesome. That man's telling me I could pick out my own higher power. I'm coming here. They're telling me I'm powerless. Yeah, I'm powerless over alcohol, but I wasn't powerless over picking out my own higher power. I had this vision like I'm in a higher power store. I'm picking one out. You know, like going over here. Got any high- oh, I th- yeah, I want this higher power. You take American Express. <clears throat> yeah, I'll take the one with the sandals. <laughs> I went through the act. I didn't know what to do. I went through the act. We went home. Him and I got on our knees, and we did that third step prayer and then some. And I said, you know what? I don't know who you are, where you are, what you are. I want to go through the rest of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Only if I need you will I call on you. <laughs> I, was, I didn't get an answer because if I did, I would have shit. <laughs> I didn't want to get too spiritual. I was still out. It was an old timer. Early timer. I'll correct myself. Sitting in the back of the room of my home group. Joe was his name. Ten years he had. Heroin addict. Couldn't shoot heroin, couldn't afford it. Became a wino. Came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Old, streetwise, early timer, alcoholic. Awesome man. I went to him. I said, Joe, did you have a hard time with this God? He said, no. He said, Gil, you know what I did? What? He said, I better, I better believe in this God they're talking about, just in case he is there. And then not believe in him and find out he was there. I was like, all right, old addict's back door protection. I went with it. You know, it helped. <clears throat> I believed him. It was Kenny. Father Kenny in, 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 on the retreat, okay? He's talking about this girl, Janie, in Sunday school. Nine years old she was. Sunday school teacher said, all right, kids, we're going to draw a picture of God today. All the kids looked at one of us. She's nuts, man. No one knows what he looks like. So this one girl, she got her crayons and pens, and she's going to town. All the kids gathered around her. Janie, what are you doing? She said, I'm going to draw a picture of God. All the kids says, that's impossible. No one knows what he looks like. She said, they're going to know now. <laughs> you know, that kind of like, what was that? I said, okay, it's a God of my understanding. No big deal. I went to this man, what do I do? I wanted to do a four-step, okay? He knew me. And he kind of like, what I noticed was, he kind of like got to know his sponsees. And so he knew where everybody went. And then he had an idea where we had to go. And this is what he did with me. Might be contrary to anybody else's. But you know what? I didn't come here to tell you how to get sober or why you should be sober. I didn't come here to impose my recovery on you. All I'm sharing is what works for me, okay? That's all I have. This is my story. And what he told me was, I know you, Gil. I know you real good. I want you to go all the way back to your childhood, as far back as you can remember. I want you to write down everything you ever did to everybody else, how you felt about that. And everything everybody else ever did to you, and how you felt about that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that okay would take me five months. There's my first four step, an autobiography. I didn't do no columns yet. He wanted me to get all this stuff out, so that I can leave room for some new information and do my columns and then deal with the, the uh, selfishness, dishonesty, the resentments, the fears, the sex acts. You know, right on down the line, all the columns, till eventually I see my part in This is what he did with me, this man. And I didn't know at the time, but today I can see why. I see why when people go out, you know, that they don't believe they can change the things that they can change. And therefore they go out, you know. And... I, you know, I'm like, three months went by, and I called him up, I'm squirrely, I'm going, man, this is like, he said, what, you got any assets? I was like, oh, who? <laughs> he said, assets. How are you experiencing that higher power? And I told him, you know what, Joe, I kind of like the idea that you let me pick out my own higher power. I kind of like the idea I'm making a beginning and working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, because for a lot of years it was suggested to me. <laughs> I waited till it was mandatory. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I had some friends in recovery who cared about me. 
And that was about it. I don't think new people have very many assets in early recovery. At least I didn't, you know, but I went with that. And I got to finish it up. Six months, five months or six months. Another retreat. Here we come. Here, going back up on retreat. 98 guys or whatever it was. That little priest that weighed 98 pounds and my sponsor. And, you know, I could see everything in that four-step at that time. I could see shame, blame, guilt, abandonment, rejection, illness on top of illness. You name it. I had it. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I'm on this retreat. I'm opening my gut. I'm saying, look at this. What is all this stuff? You know, and these guys are giving it back to me. Well, Gil, that happened to us, too. I was like, wow, when I was eight years old, I was molested by a priest in a hospital. He's touching me. He's wanting me to touch him. I'm telling my parents, no one believed me. All my life, I grew up with this, that no one believed me. I stuffed those feelings and emotions for a lot of years. And I can remember when the joy of drinking went away. Those were the causes and reasons I kept drinking. When the joy of fun of drinking went away, and I tried to tried to capture that old glow like Charlie was talking about and couldn't do it. The obsession and the compulsion kicked in. I couldn't stop drinking. Came that morning, blackout drinker that couldn't stop drinking. All because of those things. Incest in my family. Guys in the neighborhood molested me. I'm walking down the avenue in my own town. I got to walk on here. There's those guys. Until they started coming into recovery. And then they had to own their own side of the street and clean it up, see? Just like I had to do. I was like, wow. Unbelievable. These guys, you know, here I am telling them things. I can't tell another human being. You know, the, so a lot of the deep, dark secrets I was going to take to my grave and not tell nobody. And they say you're as sick as your secrets. And here I am telling these guys. And my trust factor, I figured they're telling me all about them. So if they squeal on me, I got this on them. See, I went with that for a long time. I figured, you know what? You drag my stuff out into the street, I got you. You know, but they didn't do that. And it took a little while to keep coming back to see. They never, never told another human being. Awesome. I learned something. Trust began with another alcoholic. A priest, no less. It was that priest that told me, you know what, Gil, all priests aren't bad. Some were sick like we were when we were out there. And that helped me. A big load lifted off my shoulder. Coming home from this retreat, I felt, I felt good. I don't know about anything. I felt pretty good. You know, for the first time, I'm not, you know, hiding from myself and my inner, my inner self, you know. I'm like coming home and it's like, I thought, you know what? I said, this God must love me. He spared my ass. I should have been dead. All I'm times hanging off of cliffs in these car accidents, all full of, excuse me, all full of blood. He spared my ass. And you know, my sponsor was one of them guys saying, we're chosen. You know, he said, he was on this cloud, you know, we're chosen, you know. And it's like, I believe that. And I believe only a few of the chosen get to stay here. And when I, I gotta tell you the story. I gotta break, when I moved, <laughs> he moved. He liked the new, he was like the Clancy of our area. Every other guy in the room, he sponsored, you know. And when his wife passed away, and I turned around to Al-Anon, and boy, she was ever so grateful for that. And what a wonderful woman. And uh, when I used to call my sponsor, I'd talk to her. <laughs> and anyhow, so he didn't want everybody knowing what he does, you know, when he's not at an AA meeting. So he decided to move, too. He said, I'm moving, too. You get a sponsor, I'm going to get one. Okay, let's try it. And he sent me this letter, because he liked nudity. He's managing a nudist colony, he's telling me. <laughs> Out in Florida. And don't you think he started a meeting there? I'm like, Jesus, he's nuts. I mean, you really let your shortcomings out at this meeting, let me tell you. <laughs> Even a big book don't have a cover on it. Yeah. And I think the slogan they use is try to identify, don't compare. You know? <laughs> he's nuts. I was, I've not, I have not heard from him since. Anyhow, I hope he didn't compare. He never. That's the kind of man he was. Fifth step. Awesome. A couple more years of sobriety went by. No sixth step. Boy, Big Buck says you better jump into it right away. Nah. I looked at that thing. I said, what in order? I'm not going through with it. So I went around recovery, did a little 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, walking around the rooms like I got something, you know, for a few years. 
I became that ultimate three-stepper, you know, not a two-three-stepper. I'm powerless, I'm sorry, I'll help somebody, you know. <laughs> and there were some more steps to do. And what happened with me was, I believed my character defects were going to get me. I was ready to drink at about seven years sobriety. And, uh, I re- you know, in a big book where it says we're approached by those in whom some problems have been solved, <laughs> I met some of these people. They were pretty up. Gil. One guy became my confidant. I said, what do I do with this six-step, man? It's like, he says, well, you know what? He told me. He says, your four-step. Everything you need to do the rest of the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous are in your four-step. I said, they are? He said, yeah. Your liabilities are the very things you need to do the rest of the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, in there is your six-step list. There are glaring defects. Because he said, you cannot fix something you cannot spot. I was like, huh, that makes sense to me. And then he gave a few he saw on me because he knew me a while. I was a little pissed off. But I got over it the next day. I said, oh. He said, your eight-step list is in there. People you harmed. There's no excuse to finish the rest of the steps. It's your blueprint of progress. Blue Allen on in there. And I was like, wow. I don't know. What do I do? He said, you know what? We write on all the steps. I said, oh, gee, there we go. You do? Why? He said, to get some perspective on our recovery. I said, why would you write on them? This is what we do. He said, you get a pen, pad, and a dictionary. Look them $10 words up in step one. You got powerlessness. What is it? I wasn't sure what it was. Powerlessness. I mean, I had an idea. But he made me write about it with the definitions. You know. Insanity. You know. Unmanageability. Uh... Uh, what's the other one? Spirit, you know, spirituality. He made me write all these $10 words. He made me look it up. Sanity, insanity, uh, inventory, what's moral? Now I was starting to get a little perspective on recovery. You know, I knew where I came from. I wasn't sure where I had to go with all this. And he was the one that, that gave me some perspective. He said, Gil, the six and seven step are the two most mixed work steps in recovery. They are for me at one time. But you know what? I see it in others. And what I see in you, I'm capable of. That scares me, you know. I said, what do I do with this? You see, we were going along the, just a couple of paragraphs, printed in 1939. Had a problem with it. And I'm glad I ran into these guys in whom some problems happened. I said, what do I do with this? You see, when I've, when I've read all the books on AA and the co-founder, Bill Wilson, he didn't write that 12 and 12 till 12 years after AA. Them, them first 100 alcoholics and the ones that came, they were going nuts, man. They were going, ready to kill one another. It's, in, it's all right. They were ready to kill one another. They were going nuts. They had no separate traditions in their long form. Bill Wilson, the co-founder, felt the need to write this book for people like me who are having problems other than alcohol. What's left now that I haven't drank in 17 years? Plenty. Plenty. <laughs> I have distortions in my thinking, hidden flaws in my character. So when I think I got the slate clean, huh, hello, meet some new people. They'll point out a few things to you. And it's like, wow. I said, what do I do with this? He introduced me to the 12 and 12. And when I opened it up, there it was. Bill writes, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. Whoa. Or the girls from the women. It's the 90s. I don't want to leave no one out. (laughs) I was like, wow. He said we'd have to gain a whole new interest in open-mindedness to get any kind of, to move forward with these steps. A whole new interest in open-mindedness. And he said to me, this man, what works for your alcoholism will work for what's left. I was like, well, I have to think, how the hell does my alcoholism get arrested? You know, first three steps, I can't, he can't, I'm going to let him, you know, go through this and that and then it turns real and it's like, wow, you know, it's like, wow. So we found these defects. He made me look up a program definition. Of a defect. Anything that stands in my way being useful to another human being, to myself, and to my higher power. Think about that. That's pretty wide range. Well, you know what? My sobriety is wide range. It is. I was like, whoa. Unbelievable. What do I do? He said, let's take them glaring defects, put them on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. Defect. I said, now what? He said, you got your dictionary? Yeah. Look up the definitions of some of those defects. I was like, okay. (laughs) I said, now what do I do? (laughs) He said, let's try to find the opposite to those defects. You know, some of them we had to work at. You know, we had to like... Scout around, do a little research. 
I said, okay, we got some opposites now. He said, let's look the definitions of those opposites up. Try and practice being that opposite. I was like, whoa, unbelievable, unbelievable. I take a character defect, false label it, dress it up, make believe I don't have it, rationalize and justify behind the behavior of it. Now it's a shortcoming, you know. So six don't get me, seven's waiting. That's what a shortcoming is, the acting out of my character defect. Bill made a drunk trap for a drunk like me. Six don't get me, I'll get him with seven. And that's just how the defects work. It's like being on a football field and you're dealing with all your defects. Not so much your human failings, your defects. And they're like, yeah, let's get them with jealousy, man. That always gets them. Yeah, remember the last time? Yeah, you know, they're in a huddle, you know, and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, let's get them with lust. You know, let's get them with this. Let's get them. Oh, man. Unbelievable. I saw a list of 100 known defects to a human being with negative feelings and emotions. A hundred. Actually, you're a boy. I don't scare you. I don't scare me. People keep adding to this list. It's not conference approved, so we don't hang it up. Uh, I only see 30 in my inventory. It means you guys got the other 70. <laughs> well, your 70 generates my 30. I got to look at me. That's what the program tells me. program says, look at me, not you. What I see in you, I have myself. Because on the East Coast, we say you spot it, you got it. Someone's making me uncomfortable. I got to look at what I'm identifying through that person. It's because, A, I'm capable of that or once was, or B, I don't want to be about that no more. Lifetime job, six or seven. Six step is, I don't do what I want to do. And the seventh is, I do what I don't want to do. You get that? A lot of wisdom there. If you didn't get that, get the tape. <laughs> I always push the tape guy with that. But that's true. I had to spend some time in recovery with some of these defects to see what it's like. And I've been around long enough to know what it's like without some of them. And I like that. My God's not going to remove anything from me unless I take some of his qualities on. When I get an idea what some of them are, being caring, loving, kind, understanding. Those are the opposites of my defects. If I'm living in a realm of that, I don't need my old. I develop some new character traits. My alcoholism's not gone. Why will my defects be gone? They will make me up. Like the old pair of shoes in the closet. And I got a pair that hurt me. They kill my feet, but they look nice. <laughs> you know. And they're in the closet. And anytime I want to put them on to look nice, I got to do the pain. And that's just what those defects are. They're a lifetime job. They're a lifetime job. Brings me to eight. What do I do? He says, go back to your fourth step. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, people your arm. Oh, my Lord. There they all were. You know what I put first? Fake higher power. <laughs> he laughed at me. Why are you putting your fake higher power? I said, I don't know if I heard him. I come this far, I'm not taking no chances. X, Y, parents, kids, people, places, things, institutions, people I owe money to, people I ripped up, big ass lips. This long. Why you need a sponsor? He told me, we're going to go through every one. Oh, my Lord. Here, I thought I could skate by and I'd be done with all this. He, just a list, he said. That's it. Unbelievable. Character, you know, making an amends to people. You know, and I, and what happened with me in my recovery, when my wife got married to to her husband, he had to go to Ireland to see his mom, asked me if I'd watch their house. <laughs> you know, his kids, my kids. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's here, I, my ex-wife watched my house. Well, are you kidding me? I'll burn it down. No, I didn't. I, uh, I was taking my kids and his kids to Alateen while they were gone. And I'm standing in the hallway, <laughs> you know, so the Alateen was like, what are you doing out here? Meeting's downstairs. I said, well, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm like, no, well, you can go to the beginner's meeting. We don't care how long you're sober. You go. And I did. I spent a couple of years in Al-Anon. I didn't want to. I just did. My kids were at Alateen. I went to a step study. And my perspective that I've gotten in Al-Anon was I got to see and hear what the harm I did to others did to them. Pretty powerful. I got to see what the harm I did to others did to them. And you know why? I wouldn't want what I did to others done to me. Big thing. And this list, there they are, you know. My parents, they're in a hospital. My father, an amputee. He's gone blind, he's dying, he's got pneumonia. My mother's in another hospital. 
something's wrong with her. They think they all both think one another's dead. I, I'm I'm eight years sober. I'm going to meetings, and I put my arms around my dad one day. I said, Dad, I love you. And he said, I love you too, son. And my mom, I did the same thing. And they would always say, you still going to them meetings? <laughs> I used to say, yeah. Mom, Dad, best thing ever happened to me, alcoholics and I'm. You see, I saw their blame, shame, and guilt. See, even though I took on some of their honor and blame, shame, and guilt, when my mother went off on a drunken stupor and my father and I caught her in bed with a guy, you know, I took all that out. I took that blame, that shame, that guilt, as well as my own. Overloaded circuits, what I had. And it was like, you know, you're at this convention this weekend. Whoever raised you, fed you, housed you, clothed you, I don't know, brought you up. You know, give it some thought, man. You know, like, you can call these people up. I know the steps are in order. But you can call them up and say, you know what, I've been thinking about you. And and, and you know, it, it's all about rebuilding torn and tattered relationships with others. And then God also allows us to rebuild that one with ourselves. Then and only then does he clear a path away for me to come to him. That's the way it works. You know, and uh, my kids, oh, weekend, weekend father, you know, Sunday, I'm coming, I'd get loaded, they'd be waiting for me, sun would go up, the sun would go down. I did a lot of damage, they still throw it to my face these days, <laughs> still, dad, remember that time? I say, listen, they got a 12-step program for people who are having problems with that, <laughs> you know. But no, they do, they have, they still, you know, I, I saw what that did. Financial amends, my plate was cleaned at one time, it was clean, I was like, <laughs> you know, and and now... I don't know what's going on, but, you know, the IRS is coming back. You know, it's like, oh, boy, I'm not too happy. Here they go again. It's like uh, I was reading with Bill Wilson, went past the statute of limitations for all the money he owed, and it was like 10, 12 years. He's paying these people up. And they're going, you're nuts, man. You ain't got to pay us. He says, no. My program tells me. The program of AA says I should do this. You know, and tears come to my eyes because it's harm. If I owe money, I, it's harm. I'm doing harm. I don't want to do harm to me or anybody. Um uh, that eight to nine steps a lifetime job. There's still some people on my men. You know, I mean, I have fear of the mailbox. You know, I don't look to who the letter's to. I look who it's from before I open it. <laughs> you know, so that's not gone yet. You know, after 17 years. Um, and after nine, you know, and I made some indirect amends. There's some old ladies I stole things from years ago. They're dead. I don't know where they are. My sponsor told me, be nice to old ladies. And I'm nice to old ladies today. I really am. Like, I go out of my way. Like, something's got to be careful. Like, they want to carry their pack. They think they're trying to bug them. you got to be careful. You know, it's like... I try to be too nice sometimes. Lifetime job, eight and nine. In the big book, it talks about the promises. They will materialize for you if you work for them. I work my ass off for my sobriety. And the result is up to my God. I know that. I got 11 out of 12. Not bad. I'm working on one yet. Good. Whatever keeps me coming, right? And then the 10 step comes. It checks me out, that 10 step. I leave anything out from one to nine. It will show up in my attitude, my behavior with you people, people in service work, people in my home group, people in my personal life and in my marriage. I leave anything out from one to nine. It will show up in my attitude and my behavior. My old ways of thinking, my old beliefs do not work anymore. And I keep trying them. They don't work. You know, I got those characters. I'm like a little boy with a little red wagon, six-step character defects. I'm going through recovery. Mess with me. I want to take one out. You know, still, seven says, you don't want to do that. Remember the last, you know. And it's like... The 10 step does check me out. I used to use it for a backup step. You know, I go around a room saying anything, especially where my wife and I broke up, you know, and they used to say, oh, you know, my misfortunes became my good fortunes, you know, and I was really, <laughs> well, it's true. But, uh, I would say things like that. And, uh, I don't need to do that. People would say, why do you do that? I say, I'm an alcoholic. See, that's bullshit. I don't need my disease for an excuse for my behavior today. If my behavior is unacceptable, that's exactly what it is. It's unacceptable. And if it's unacceptable that I see it in you, then it's unacceptable I see it in you. And you know what? I can tell people, say, I like when people tell me my behavior is unacceptable in a caring and loving way. I think that's what AA is all about. That's what real AA is all about. 
call people on their shit. I need other alcoholics in my life to call me on my stuff. And they do. They say, Joe, why are you doing that? That's like, you used to, you know, <laughs> and I don't know, oh, yeah, thanks for telling me, you know. Am I doing the right things for the right reasons in recovery? Am I taking a service commitment for the right reasons? Am I taking a good motive to cover up a bad motive? I always have to check that out. Check. You know what I learned? If I hurt you today, I hurt me. I can't afford to hurt you, and I can't afford to hurt me. So I'm very careful with that. I got a 10-step prayer made up. You could use it if you want. It works for me. <laughs> I go to bed at night, and I say, you know what, God, tomorrow, I hope people are as nice to me as I was to them today. <laughs> and that checks me out. I go to bed, I say, oh, was I nice to people? And sometimes I mess up. And then I got to use the last part of that 10-step, one wrong, properly admit it. It's okay. I don't have a problem with it today. I can use it. I need that 10-step to clear my mind. You know why? The ultimate of steps come. The ultimate, I need to clear. I need to know, if, am I doing things right with my higher power, with others, and myself? Almost like when you got your rent paid or your mortgage paid or some bills paid. Your room's clean, your bed's clean, your car's clean. Yeah, hey, you're working with your sponsors. Your sponsor's patting you on the back. You feel good, you know. That's it. You know, your mind's cleared. Ready for 11 steps. And I try and do that. Where they want to know, do I want to prove my conscious contact with this fake higher power I threw up there? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Too many things have happened. There are no coincidences. You know, yeah, I do. And they say, guilt through prayer and meditation, you can do this. I'm like, wow. And I go in this dark room, still my mind, clear my mind, and I light a candle. Real basic. I light a candle. I stare at it. I see the colors, the reds, the oranges, the blues, the greens. You know, a couple of minutes, I blow it out. It's still there. I'm always baffled. Why is that candle still burning? And I can put a face on that higher power today. And I see that flame flickering off his face. He's staring at this alcoholic. He loves me, man. He approves of me. And I see him. He's smiling. I'm going, wow. I say, you know what, God? All my life, I'm asking you to do this for me. Help me out here. You know, before I drank, when I drank, and when I got sober. Do it, boy. If I can only speak here, and if I only had that, and boy, this job, that, and all, boy, this group. Oh, that's wow, man. Then I stop, and I say, you know what? I never asked what I could do for you today. Right then and there, my will's not in the way. That instant, that moment. What can I do for you today? You did all this for me. I thank him for keeping me sober. I thank him for the things he's taken away through them steps out Hulk Anonymous. I thank him for the things he's given me through them steps out Hulk Anonymous. And then I thank him for what's left. You know why? Nobody hit me with no well on. I'll tell you right now. There's no role model for the recovering alcoholic. There isn't. They try and get up here and tell you there is, but there isn't. Look in the big book. Do you see you look like this, sound like this? No. Just give you a description of an alcoholic. And if you fit the description, maybe you are one. You know, and then they tell you how it works. You know, not how to think, but how it works. And it's like, whoa. I said, you did all this for me. What can I do for you today? Those answers come when your own house is in order. That's what the big book says. I say somewhat in order because it fits me. <laughs> you know, no one hit me with a well on. Somewhat in order. I say, what can I do for you today? And, and you know, it becomes increasingly clear as I go through rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous what he wants me to do. He wants me to carry that message of hope, whether it's on this frontier or another frontier. He wants me to magnify his name. He wants me to tell people it still works no matter how long you're around and struggling or if you're new or coming back. It still works. Because in 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I'm to carry that message. Not a mess, a message that this is what works for me. Again, I didn't come here to get you sober, tell you why you should be sober or how. Just what's working for me. And you know what? Works just fine. <laughs> Something happened to me from them steps 1 to 12. It's awesome. The 12 steps, there's a whole chapter in the big book, working with others. It's about giving back to your home group. I'm not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a member of a home group that belongs to Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a difference. There's a difference with me with that, or they wouldn't write whole books and everything in a grapevine about home groups. There's a lot to it. If you're new and you're just filling up a chair, you're visiting. It's okay. You can stay. We're not chasing you out of here. 
I belong to a home group, Palace Birdie. Rolling Hills, 1 o'clock every Wednesday. That's my home group. It talks about being single, married. It talks about being broke, rich, and what you can still do for Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, awesome. There's a slot for everybody here, even if you just show up at a meeting and put a dollar in a basket or whatever you, your fair share is. That's 12-step work. You know, it gives you a whole thing. It's awesome. Don't miss it. Something happened to me through them steps 1 to 12. The obsession and the compulsion to drink has been lifted. I don't want to drink today. It looks good. You know, from time to time, it looks good. I see the relapser in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't like to, but maybe I'm supposed to. You know why? It could be me at any time. Forgiveness took place through the steps. Mm. Excuse me. Look it up. It's an act that takes an enormous amount of spiritual strength. What the hell with me? A falling down drunk in an enormous amount of spiritual strength. Through the weaknesses I exposed in the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous along with some assets give me some spiritual strength to face some things around here. I made a decision. Not a choice. A decision in my third step that magnifies in my eleventh. And you know what it is? I accepted an outcome before it even happens. That's kind of like life on life's terms. I accepted an outcome before it even happened. Some people miss that. Surrender. Everything else changes in that third step for me, but not that decision. And then it magnifies in my 11th. The obsession and the compulsions lifted. Forgiveness takes place. People are forgiving me. I'm forgiving them. Ex-lovers. Well, you know, awesome. What's good for the forgiven is good for the forgiven. Forgiveness fosters humility. I'm an alcoholic in recovery. If I don't have some degree of humility, I won't be here. You know what my degree is? I'm just as powerless over alcohol the day I came in. Lack of power is my dilemma? Maybe so. Maybe so. Actually, there's another side of powerless. I'm not powerless over people, places, and things. I'm powerless how I feel over people, places, and things. Because I know better through sponsorship. And I've had some tough-ass cookies that people swore wouldn't make it. Because they followed me around, they got some kind of hope. And I figured if this nut can stay sober, they could. You know, see, so I'm not powerless as much as people. There's another side. It's about what I'm not powerless over. I'm not powerless of showing up to meetings. I'm not powerless of working with others. Big, there's a, you know, I don't need to fall directly into that like a lame duck. Not for me. And uh, the gratitude kicks in. Humility brings on gratitude. There's no alcoholic around any amount of time. That stays sober without some sort of gratitude. You heard Charlie speak about it. You heard Jeannie speak about it. And you probably hear a lot of other people. Gratitude. Gratitude brings on emotional balance. I was three and a half years sober. I didn't want to live. I didn't want to drink. I just didn't want to be here. I see people take their lives sober. Put ropes around their necks. Die sober. It isn't a drink that takes people out of here. It's something that manifests itself before that drink. That lies within those character defects. Those human failings, those shortcomings, you hang on to them and use them long enough, then the drink cuts in. That drink's right there. It's right there. The more involved I get with my home group and things I do, the farther away the drink is. I like that. As soon as I forget about that, that drink's getting closer. (laughs) And I just might drink it. I might be thirsty enough someday to drink it. And the gratitude and the emotional balance. Emotional balance brings on spiritual progress. That's the touchstone of recovery for me today. Spiritual progress. You know why? It doesn't have any boundaries. It's the only thing I know doesn't have any boundaries. There's boundaries all over this place. States, counties, getting a program relationship, boundaries. You know, trying to raise kids, boundaries. You know, but spiritual progress does not have any boundaries. A man or a woman can take the steps 
It's Alcoholics Anonymous. In Go, where no man or woman's gone before it without the spaceship Enterprise. <laughs> Bill talks about being rocketed into a dimension, a fourth dimension of existence. And you know what? From time to time, I've experienced that. I don't know about you. But you know what? I can't keep it. I gotta give it away. <laughs> I gotta give it away. Awesome. This program's awesome. And you know what? That's only half the program. There are another set of principles called the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. They have taught me how to get along with other human beings as well as myself. I'm not going to get into them. That's another thing. But they are the other half of the program. Everything I need to know about living, I learned in my home group through the traditions. The steps keep me sober and the traditions keep me married <laughs> to my wonderful wife, who I want to thank for taking this trip when she goes where I go. And... uh She's awesome. I don't put a lot of emphasis on my marriage because I used to do that. You know, I used to had a marriage. We were like the Ken and Barbie of AA, and the next day it was over. You know, so like I don't want to go through that. You know, so I don't put a lot of emphasis on my marriage. We already were two full individuals with a lot of growth who met one another for the bonus of having a relationship. You know, and that's why our relationship to this day works. But there are no guarantees. I've seen families come together. I've seen them come apart. There are no guarantees. One day I walked into a room, Alcoholics Anonymous. I became a small part of that room. Not a big part, just a small part. My 90-day pin from New Jersey. The triangle. The G on top is God. The AA is down the other point. And the dot in the middle is me. And when they gave me that pin, they told me, keep one hand on God, one hand on AA, and you won't pick up a drink. And when that dot in the middle gets bigger than the A and the A and the G, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, so keep that dot the right size, what they told me. One day I had to get a sponsor. One day I became one. If you're new and you think you're here because of the motor vehicles or the judge or the wife and this and that and the other thing, <laughs> hold on, man. Awesome. If you don't get an opportunity to work with another alcoholic, you're missing the whole thing. It's not about me today. It's about others. It's about guys I sponsor. It's about them. The newcomer isn't the most important person in the room. Their welfare is important, very important. Your common welfare as a newcomer, when I care about your welfare, it helps my welfare in hopes that you'll stay sober long enough to care about my welfare. And <laughs> that's how it works. One day I did a fifth step with a human being. And one day a human being did a fifth step with me. Awesome. Don't miss that. That's my ongoing process. I don't know about anybody else, but usually what I need to know, I find in someone else's inventory. One more time, I see something that I look over lightly in my own inventory and someone else's. And the process of me goes on and on. And I call my sponsor and I said, guess what? This, that, where'd you find that? I said it in another person's inventory. Very interesting. And the ongoing process of Gil finding out what he's all about is usually in someone else's inventory. And if I don't sponsor people, I will never know that. You know. This is an awesome fellowship. Again, I want to welcome the newcomers. And my gratitude to the early timers who made ready a room for me to recover in. And again, thank the committee for having me. I'm an alcoholic and my name is Gil. Thank you.